0: That's heritageradio.network.org/15 to donate and enter to win today, and make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by 100 Bogart Street, a co-working building in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Need a professional place to work from? Learn more by visiting 100Bogart.com.
2: Hey, hey, welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey guys, I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host here on Beer Sessions Radio. This is a special recording in August. It'll be airing sometime soon. The reason we did this show is there's a special event in New York, and it's the second year. It's called Beers Without Beards, and uh, Grace White's put that together with Hop Culture a year ago, and we unfortunately never got to do a show with her, but we got contacted by Origin Malt um, out of Ohio, And uh, they're here in town, and there's some special things going on for the Beer for Beards Mm -hmm. event. So let's introduce our guests. You guys, uh, give me a quick intro.
3: Hi, I'm Sarah Haggerty from Origin Malt. I handle all the sales and marketing for
2: And where are you guys based?
3: We're based in beautiful Columbus, Ohio. Smack dab in the middle.
2: So you're here because, what, you have a lot of women involved in your company?
3: Yes, actually. So we, um, our two co-founders, Vic and Ryan, brought me on about a year and a half ago. Um with that, I brought on our, into our team, both Rebecca Jennings, who has year 15 plus years of quality experience in malt from RAR, and Whitney Thompson, who's also been in brewing and quality for about 15. Great.
4: And our other guest, uh, Ivan Dedek, uh, Director of Brewing Operations at LIC Beer Project.
3: Great. And what are you doing here? You're not a woman.
2: This is the, <laughs> isn't this the beer for beer Very show observant show. of you.
4: Beer, or beer, it's beer for beers with me, but... <laughs> an old man and still can't grow a beard so i guess that counts for something um but uh we uh you know origin through hop culture contact us, contacted us about uh brewing a beer with them for the beers without beards event and we were you know thrilled to be uh, uh,
2: lsc beer project one of the owners is, is a woman caitlin that is correct yeah
4: and uh I, I believe you spoke with her recently as well
2: yeah, we had a great show with her. Yeah, so there's a lot we're going to talk about today. Um, definitely about malts, regional malts, uh, starting a, you know, malt facility. The differences between growing grains in Midwest mm-hmm. versus New York State. So let's take it away. So let's start with beer. beers without beards. Um, I know about the event. It's really great, and there's so many people in town for it this weekend. Um, what do you guys do in LIC Beer Project for that event? Now, did you make a beer with a malt? that's our source for you
4: correct uh yeah we so we brewed a essentially a classic american lager so a slightly maltier um lager that was dry hopped uh with the origin malt about 99.5 percent origin malt with a little bit of acidulated in there um and it came out outstanding it's it's nice it's it's not too crisp it's very nutty uh it it showcases that malt that that they make over at origin
2: and we're going to taste that beer right correct yes. great and sarah t- tell us just like to give us a sense of what you do and how you operate yeah tell us the process of contacting LIC beer project figuring out what malts they would use and
3: totally that so communication one of the things that we're really proud of and really passionate about is education um people say you know hops are so sexy is malt ever going to get there And what we've been really focused on is not just educating our customer, being brewers and distillers, but educating consumers. So I met Grace at uh, CBC out in Denver. She came up to me and we were talking about her work with Beer Without Beards and putting that on. And I said, God, that would be a great opportunity to bring people into understanding malt better and having a workshop and being able to share what we do as women at Origin Malt with the community that appreciates craft beer here in New York.
2: That's great. So tell me about the beer. So what what malt did you use? Are you guys, uh, you you have farmers that you work with. mm -hmm. Give us a little bit about the backstory. So this this isn't just some German malt that these guys
3: bought. No, this is not just off the boat from Germany. So this is um, a a beautiful variety called Puffin. So when we started about five to six years ago, our co-founders, Vic and Ryan were working with um, a variety of researchers and farming partners, seed producers out in the Midwest. They identified puffin for not only its ability to grow in the Midwest, but it had great, not only those agronomic results that farmers really need, right, to have a sustainable crop to ensure their economy, but it had great malting characteristics. So we brought in this barley, and we started growing it up from a little cup of seed, pretty much like literally like a cup they found it in a seed bank in Colorado and we acquired the license. So we maintain full traceability and we went from planting roughly 350 acres to now planting close to 15,000 this fall. And this malt was, um, we actually had a contract malted right now while we're building our facility in Ohio. And it's beautiful in the way that it's a two row winter barley, a descendant of Maris Otter, big popular brewer's grain. Um, so it's UK in origin and it allows you to have that beautiful malt backbone coming through with the t- the toastier noty, nutty excuse me characteristics that um, that that Ivan was mentioning, but it's malted to a craft brewer spec. So we're looking to hit that result that they that they so desire from those imported Pilsen's and classic brewers malts.
2: And what process so for you Ivan at, at the brewery, L I C beer project. Mm-hmm. How did you guys interact back when, when you were connected with Origin Malt? So we were just uh,
4: first curious about what kind of malt we would be using with them, what they were making, and those sorts of things. When, when she came up and told us about the Puffin Malt, it's something I had heard of but never really used because it's a difficult thing to, as she said before about the traceability, it's one of those things like with like Citra or Mosaic or or Galaxy where only certain growers that are allowed to grow that malt can grow that malt. So it's it's not an easy thing to get a hold of. So it was kind of a, a unique opportunity in that sense where we were able to use this malt that a lot of people just don't get because it's not available to the marketplace. Do you think
2: that down the road brewers will put the, the name of certain malts on their label?
3: I certainly hope so. It's all over the bag. <laughs> I designed it that way. Take a lot um, of photos, right? I think yeah. a lot of
4: people are at the moment as well already. I mean, you're obviously, as you said earlier, hops are way more sexy than, than grain and malt. But, I mean, you know when you've got certain certain Pilsner malts and, and different ryes and things like that. And it's more, maybe we're not doing on the label as much with, you know, our base malts, but more the specialty grains. But I think... You know, if you have specialty growers that are producing outstanding malts, then those will end up on labels.
3: Yeah. And that adding that to that, the fact that it's domestic, that it's coming within 100 to 200 mile radius of over 2500 breweries being based in Columbus. It is advantageous for that geographic position, Um, but it also allows brewers to connect to, I think, embracing malt in a way that pushes it forward into the cu- the customer, right? The beer consumer. And part of the the work that we did on this collaboration beer that was, I think, the most fun was we were talking about, um, you know, how this is going to play into our workshop. So we do a lot of malt education. We call it our seed to sip malt school. And what we do is we take consumers and brewers, all of our attendees, through not only just this beer, but we take them through the chew. So eating, chewing the malt itself and then a hot steep, and then tasting the beer after that. And we go in a progression all the way from our 100% origin malt pilsner that we have here to a porter, and we're tasting a variety of different malts all the way through. So it truly allows you to develop that understanding and value when you go to drink an IPA next time or an amber, that you're going to know that there's more nuance to that than just base malt that was imported or... um, you know the the sexy hop that's listed on the on the menu at the restaurant.
2: <laughs> Great, you know you guys have such a l- high level of professionalism. I mean, just you're going to tell me your backstories, but yeah. I'm, I'm I'm so impressed. I feel like there's a new era of of younger people that that are you have a lot of experience. Some of it's science backgrounds. <laughs> so just tell us how you got started. Yeah, starting in the beer the beer industry or your education. Cause um,
3: you're, pre- you're pretty you're pretty cool. Right?
2: Sure,
4: I'll Both go you guys, first.
3: <clears throat> you've got a great background.
4: <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so basically, I uh, I quit a job as an executive headhunter living in London because I was tired of doing sales and uh, moved back to the US, went to Oregon, went to Oregon State University, got a degree in food science, fermentation science, and a minor in chemistry. Uh, during that time, I interned at Oma Gang. Afterwards, I worked for Sam Adams as a research and development brewer. Uh, from there, I did was, you have a beard? I've never had a beard. <laughs> I, I, I thought all
2: the guys that work at Sam Adams had to have long beards.
4: Well, you know that's Bob from the commercials with the big long goatee, <laughs> and and that guy's pretty incredible because he's, uh, God, he's got to be late fifties by this point, and is still plays hockey like two three days a, a week.
2: Wow. When he brews, does he have to wear some kind of a f- face mask uh, over that beard? It,
3: it's a hard let's topic. Say, <laughs> let's say he's supposed to. Stepping on some toes, <laughs> yeah.
2: You know, it's the Beards Without Beards According uh, to food
4: episode. safety practices. Yeah, there I mean, oh, uh, yeah. Well, well, you know, let that slide. Um, and then from there, I... Went to Schmaltz. I was a shift supervisor there. I left Schmaltz and was head brewer at Oyster Bay Brewing Company on the North Shore of Long Island, and then actually just moved over to LIC as director of brewing operations about two and a half months ago.
2: Great, man. I'm, so. I'm, and then your beers have been really great. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thanks. I Thank appreciate you. it. And Sarah, you're, you know, same My... with you. I'm, I'm so impressed with your guys' background. Thank you.
3: Um, so I started brewing back in 2006. I was in college at UC San Diego. Um, Started a homebrew club there, the first homebrew club. Now there's a whole brewing science program, which is amazing and so happy. I just wish it had been around a little bit sooner. Um, But I started out pre-med and then switched to art history and communications. Got a little bored. Um, But had that science background and loved brewing. But it took me a long road. It was also 2008, so had a little bit of a recession going on. Jobs weren't popping into my lap went to graduate school um, and then found my way back to beer and I thought about brewing professional like brewing like Ivan does professionally and going and getting a degree and getting in the brewery but for me my skill set has always been sales and storytelling and communicating to customers the value that a raw material brings to a To a malt bill or a brew, whether that's yeast, which I worked for White Labs in uh, out of Chicago as their Midwest Territory Manager starting in 2014, then on to um, that's was
2: that's impressive. Thank I mean. you.
3: <laughs> I love. I mean, White Labs was so formative for me because it allowed me to bring so much of my qualities as a person and bring me into a self-awareness that that really showcased like what I was good at and where I could excel. And education is. So paramount in that organization, especially for consumers and and customers of their products. When I got into the malt industry, I went way in the other direction and went to work for a giant global malt supplier. And the thing that I learned there was that there was a big disconnect from craft brewers. Um, it I traveled like a banshee, literally seventy percent of the time. I was handling a lot of accounts that were bi coastal or relationships that I had from back in California all the way to Western New York. Um, but for me moving to Columbus, my partner and I moved there about two years ago now, could afford a house, couldn't do that in Chicago. (laughs) Um, but luckily meeting the founders of origin, Vic and Ryan, uh, they'd been working on this project for quite some time and I vetted it. I looked underneath the skirt, wanted to make sure like, wait, you've been growing barley for how long? Like it was one of those, <laughs> wait, how much? And you're working with who? And it was this fantastic, you know, understanding that these, these two co-founders really saw an opportunity. Ryan had been sourcing his grain for all, he's a distiller, um, had been sourcing all of his grain from like a hundred, hundred and fifty mile radius, but was having to buy his barley, his malt from me. And that was coming from all over. So, When he and Vic saw that hole in the supply chain, they said, why wasn't barley being grown? This is, you know, this is interesting. Like, Ohio being such a beer mecca, why wasn't Ohio growing barley? And you look back to Prohibition, pre-Prohibition, over 350,000 acres of barley were being grown in Ohio. And four of the five largest malt houses were there. What happened? Well, Prohibition, World War I, World War II, soy and corn, all these things come in, but there was no reason why we couldn't grow barley there. Institutional knowledge had left, and they worked to bring it back. And so they brought me on board, and I've been there ever since. So it's been a year, about a year and a half, but it's truly passion um, to bring brewers into the fold of understanding that they can source really high-quality grain and malt from a domestic supplier.
2: And at origin malt. What's the tagline?
3: <laughs> Seed to sip. It's on
2: the website. You can. It say, is. I, yeah. I saw that already, but I, I but love that. it truly, that. it's. I, it's I, I've only recently heard heard malters talking about f- f- finding seeds and mm-hmm. and 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 growing those seeds so that you can actually grow the product. Yeah, you I forget about that's agriculture. Right? I would
3: say that we are probably you know we're building our malt house right now in Ohio. We're outside of Columbus on a 300 acre site with. R&D fields already in the ground um, on the property and a a fairly good sized malt house going up because we want to make sure that we can be large enough to be efficient and offer a competitive price Um, I always say that there's economies of scale in every business and what the craft maltsters do like regional malt houses like us might not necessarily be able to do in terms of nuance of specialty products but we are putting in a roaster and a kiln and growing barley on site and right now really managing a lot of agriculture. (laughs) So 15,000 acres is no little, little feat for us.
2: Oh, that's great. I'm really glad you guys came on. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. i so, so more about science brewing and working with malt.
4: Yes. Um, I mean this, their malt is, uh, I mean, any malt in general, you're, you, it's a learning curve. So when you first get that first batch, of of something new that you've never worked with, it's it's kind of a, kind of a trial and error sort of situation, and and we, I I personally like to try to start small scale and work up. Unfortunately, with this uh, with this plan, we didn't <laughs> quite have that opportunity to do kind of desktop trials and that sort of thing. So, we just went two feet in on this beer, and uh, I mean you've you've tried it. It it's it reminds me of uh, of a Regional craft American logger, so it's a little bit malty. It's not a macro, but you know, the, you know our larger New York State regional guys that make a really solid craft lager, and it kind of uh, reminds me of those. Where it's, it's toasty, nutty, little bit of hop notes. Uh, this did have a a small dry hop, and uh, it just really the the sweetness and the toastiness and and the nut like almondy. Just really pops in this beer. So, what's
2: the, tell me the full name of the beer? L I C Beer Project,
4: beers without beards. Yeah, um, yeah. With well that, the, a lot of things bounced around, and uh, the, we
3: we even took some polls. We <laughs> took
4: some polls, and then realized uh, that the the TTPs a uh, little tough sometimes to get stuff registered in a quick manner. So we we had thrown that out there to them, and so that's gonna be the beer. It's
2: craft, craft lager made with what malt? origin
3: yep 100 percent or close to 99.5 percent <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um origin brewer's malt yeah
2: so do you for the lineup I mean, by the time the show airs that the event will be over but are there any other breweries or or people that will be at the event that you'd like to mention sarah
3: yeah um well actually so what's really interesting is well we didn't get to do our benchtop trials, we'll be doing some, yes. we'll be doing some steeps and tasting after the fact. but I had run this malt um, with a lot of customers already, um, and one of our biggest customers and a big proud supporter of regional agriculture and procurement um, is Rheingeist. So Rheingeist, um, they have two women on their team, Libby and Natalie, who are awesome. Where's that? Rheingeist is located in Cincinnati. I- I forget that people, I'm like, oh. You're in New York. Yeah, sorry. Not in Ohio. <laughs> Don't you know? <laughs> uh, so Natalie and Libby from Rheingeist, um, they were super interested in what we were doing, and the whole team there has been really supportive, came out to our field day um, back in late May, and I, I talked to them about this opportunity. I was like, hey, like you're both two really talented individuals. What if we, like, let's make a beer, and let's bring you involve and involve you in our malt workshop around beer without beards. And so we, we've made another hundred percent origin malt brewer's malt beer. And that is much happier than this, but alongside it, it's going to be a really interesting kind of cadence in our tasting on Sunday. And Ryan Geist is a great supporter along with a uh, platform, which is up in Cleveland and out in Columbus proper, we have uh, North High Brewing, which they established an entire brand around sourcing regional ingredients called a brand called Cover Crop. Very aptly That's named. That's very cool, yeah. yeah. So they've been big supporters. and um, But out here with, with the ladies from Rheingeist, myself, and my colleague Whitney, like we're promoting that educational piece, but also really bringing malt to the forefront of our consumers.
2: That's great. Um I've been with you guys at LIC Beer Project. I know uh, for a few years now, a number of New York City breweries have made a a state malt, state hot beer for New York City Beer Week. Correct. Do you you have any plans to do that? And are there any malt facilities in New York that you might work with?
4: Uh, Yeah, without a doubt. Um, We honestly haven't planned that far out yet and i'm not gonna lie um it's it's been mentioned but we don't have anything nailed down um obviously uh hudson valley mall um dennis there is absolutely outstanding he's floor malting everything all his grain is also local um he's i i'm sure you've had other people sing his praises on this show as well that uh basically his batches are two thousand pounds at a time so when you order malt from him you get one floor malted batch um hop wise i mean obviously there's there's so many hop farmers now in new york which is outstanding because new york used to be the largest hop growing region in the world until you know a blight and prohibition which you know that sort of thing happens unfortunately hopefully never again um but yeah, we're looking into it. Cascade hops out of New York State are so different than what people are used to of Cascade hops, in my opinion. It's it's much more green tea. It's a little less fruity. It's a little less piney. But it's it's still an outstanding hop. And um, I'm assuming when we get closer to to the time, we'll we'll make that decision and definitely do a New York main New York State beer.
2: Great. So, Sarah, um, you guys are targeting the whole region. So mm-hmm. it's like the Midwest to New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, how far is it from where you are in Ohio to New York?
3: Oh, we're definitely in the 200 to 300-mile radius. I That's drove it. here. Did, yeah, I you like, just drove there. I drove there. here. I feel like it was under 200. But I mean,
2: I'm, I'm bad. I don't know Ohio. And, uh, well, I'm originally wanna, from the West Coast, so I have a better, anybody, better but.
3: excuse. But. Yeah,
2: Ohio's pretty well. A friend of ours, Caterina Martinez, is working at a brewery in Cleveland. She just moved there. Oh, nice! And I don't know the name of it. Um, I'm like sure I'll a see lot of her things. on the
3: on the scene yeah. in Ohio. Um, it's a Ohio is a big state for beer. Um, we have over, I think it's now over 300 breweries in the state. But we are focused for origins purposes. We're growing pretty widespread from you know Illinois to New York. Um, but for our distribution, we're actually partnered with uh, the Country Malt Group. So we're contract malting right now, and they're going to work with us as a distributor. So all the New York breweries that purchase or Pennsylvania breweries or Maine breweries that purchase from them, they'll actually be able to have access to amazing regionally grown product here very soon.
2: And do you think you'll you'll keep doing it that way, work through Country Malt? or
3: um, We go direct right now, and we'll be doing direct in addition to the distribution. The distribution is those networks are really great for especially the the really high percentage of breweries today that are so small that they might need all the malt for the month on one pallet. So that's 40 bags split across a variety of different ingredients with additions to, you know, the hops and the malt that might come on that pallet. And they really excel, and they're one of the best distributors out there, so it was great to partner with them. But full full pallets will be always direct if the customer wants
2: great hey we're going to take a short break we'll be back in a minute on beer sessions radio all right
1: this episode is brought to you by 100 bogart a new building in Bushwick, Brooklyn, that provides offices, co-working, event spaces, and a brand new podcast recording room. Have you been dreaming of starting your very own podcast in Brooklyn? You can now rent space in 100 Bogart's custom-built podcast room to record interviews, voiceover, and commentary. The room is fitted out with two microphones, mixing board, and a MacBook Pro running Pro tools. You can rent the space by the hour, and a rental of an hour or more includes a 100 Bogart co-working pass. That means complimentary coffee, tea, and access to your own desk for the rest of the day. So what are you waiting for? Get started on your next audio project. 100 Bogart has the space and amenities you need to kickstart your podcast. Learn more at 100bogart.com or call their team at 718 362
2: Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, check us out, become a member on heritageradionetwork.org. So, this is a special August show we recorded right before the Beers Without Beards uh, event in New York City with uh, Sarah from Origin Malt in Ohio. And Ivan from LIC Beer Project here in New York. So, Sarah, we're, we've been talking a little bit. What what are some things you want to say? I mean, I, I think I would <laughs> like to bring up that um, we just did an event about malt yes. in New York City called New York City Brewers Choice, and there are a lot of women involved. And I like that. I I feel like people think the face of so much craft beer is is male, but I see behind the scenes so many women, sales, management, ownership. Uh, but in malt and grains the the lead to me the leading figures are women
3: oh i 100% agree <laughs> because having been on the supplier side now for going going on it'll be going on 6 years here soon there's a lot of badass ladies leading suppliers um, we have a talent i think for education and a talent for quality and focus and traceability and the team at origin specifically like Whitney and Rebecca, they are like I look up to them. They're killers in their fields and their areas of expertise. Women throughout the industry though, I think need more attention. And how we get that attention and we get that focus on being a more equal opportunity industry is only going to be put forth by the independent craft brewers and, and brewers and distillers in general. We have to, you know, pull our all of ourselves forward. Um, and into the light because, yeah, there's a ton of women in beer, but it is sometimes overlooked or highlighted in certain ways.
2: And Ivan, I know at LIC Beer Project, I know Caitlin's one of the owners, Caitlin Acosta. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some other uh, breweries that will be at the event this weekend? Women brewers, women owners. Can you name a few?
4: Uh, Fifth Hammer uh, is
2: going to be there. Is that
4: correct? Yeah, so Fifth Hammer. Mary, is that? Yeah, Mary's going to be there. So Mary the-
3: also made a, an amber
4: with y- with the, with the origin malt, which I haven't tried yet, I don't know if you I know.
3: haven't either. I'm so excited. <laughs> She's apparently dropping off the keg in the next day or so. That's just, just so you know.
4: <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the event sounds outstanding. Uh, we're going to be there discussing malt process, um, doing all the steeps, doing and then trying through the beers. Um,
3: There's um, Molly Browning my... from. Yes. Molly's also a force to be reckoned with. Just tell us where that is. So, Lalamond is a yeast company. um, And Molly Browning, super badass. She and actually have presented before at a Women in Beer event um, hosted by Warped Wing out in Dayton, Ohio. And Molly is a killer in her field. She's been around for a long time and brewed professionally. But she's an expert, and she's hosting a workshop on off flavors, which I think another thing that consumers... Taking the the veil off the eyes a little bit, when you when you have that opportunity to understand what an off flavor is, it creates a better beer consumer.
4: I honestly believe that if beer consumers knew off flavors better, everyone's job in this industry would be so much easier. Because I've uh, not uh, I've tasted beers from brewers and I'm like this is infected with this, and then on Untapped it's still a four star because came from a cool brewery <laughs> yeah, I had that and you're e- like
2: uh, uh,
4: that is not a great beer but
3: i had that experience recently and i called it out to a friend who i knew was a very like close friend and part-time employee of the brewery and i was like hey i'm not blaming you or the brewery but maybe it's a tap line like we don't know but just heads up go get that on t- real quick and check it check it out because When you taste an off flavor, like that's not a the representation of your brand that you want out there. So, all of you if
2: you don't know it's an off flavor, you might just think it doesn't taste good,
3: right? Or you think, oh, this this is what craft beer tastes like, (laughs) and now I go looking for diacetyl.
2: Yeah, there's still (laughs) a lot of places, even in New York City, where you see a line of taps. And you're like, oh, I'll, I'll get that obvious craft beer. And you know that they don't clean their lines, which is which is a big issue. Right.
4: And the the right. New York State Brewers Association started a trial program. This was a couple of years ago. And they only did it in a few upstate counties. Um, upstate, upstate, not the Bronx. Um, and they... Uh, hey,
2: you can know your upstate counties. Come on.
4: Okay, fine. <laughs> Even Albany. I know
3: that that's not upstate. <laughs> oh, Albany,
4: Otsego, Rensselaer. I don't know. I'll just throw a couple more out. Um, And the New York State Brewers Association was basically giving certification to bars that were cleaning their tap lines at, like, every 30 days. So they would get a certificate on the wall and have, like, last date cleaned. And I think that would be super, super helpful to the industry as a whole that people walk into a beer bar. Now, we all assume bars that are designed for selling beer or cleaning their lines, but we don't know for sure. So I think that'd be something that'd be super helpful just to see like, oh, these guys. I'm going to give a shout lines. out to the
2: goodbeerseal.com. I think there's about 80 beer bars in the New York City area that have a good beer seal.
4: Correct. Yes. And, uh, uh, and I have
3: awesome. seen that. Before. Most, I'm
2: pretty sure they're all doing a lot of cleaning, but that's a whole nother show.
3: No, but mm-hmm. that's so valuable. I think like whether it's a seal, whether it's certification from a state organization, I've seen just some craft breweries just straight up put the date that the last time the lines were cleaned, and that to me that is the cream
2: yeah no I mean there, there there's a good line cleaner that I know that when he goes in he puts a, a sticker on the window every time he every time he cleans so you know that's a great great system, but that's what you guys have to deal with I mean as as brewers. And you know, Suppliers. as a supplier, oh, you're, you're kind of looking at the whole chain, aren't you? Oh God! I N- mean, you worried about <laughs> worried about something sitting on a truck too long, or make sure the beer gets refrigerated. It's
3: always the malt's fault. But wh- wh- <laughs> well, and, happen- and that's <laughs> the
4: added that's the added issue as well. Is I mean, she may sell an outstanding malt to a brewery, and they just may not do it right. Yeah. People <laughs> so are Then it's up. the maltster's yeah. fault. It's not the brewer's fault because it's it's you, you know. Right.
3: I think I think this is a very good segue because one one thing that I always talk about with my customers is when you come into come into trialing a malt, a new malt like this, the Turo puffin that that we used for this beer, um, you should run it the way you run your other malts. Realistically, like you should see how it performs based on how you normally run your brewery and then you have to do some science which normally people don't like to do but you got to take it in and you got to be objective and you got to look at what you can change and not turn all the dials to change you got to change one thing and see if that has impact so uh, for me personally with my custor- customers it's always been a I'm close to the customer I want to want to make sure they're happy I want to make sure they're using it properly but I'm not going to say it's obviously your fault, not the malts.
4: So, <laughs> good sales technique. Yeah, there.
3: not that <laughs> asshole.
2: For malt one hundred and one, for our listeners, mm-hmm. um, wh- what are th- what is? Let's say you switch from your regular two-row barley to your new barley. Mm-hmm. What are the things like scientific measures or chemical analysis that that would be done and? How yeah. would these affect things?
3: I mean, straight, straight off, would you say that just looking at the kernel side by side might be the best thing that you can do to start? Yeah, it? visually,
4: <laughs> obviously, looking at it, it, yeah. it, the size is a little bit... Yep,
3: winter barley is a little bit smaller, um, and also because it's a winter crop, so it goes in late September, harvested early June to mid-June, sometimes in certain parts that are more northern, like here in New York. As early, as okay, like so early July. So,
2: first instance, if it's a smaller grain... Smaller grain. Then how does that affect your brewing? Well, you have to adjust your mill
4: accordingly. So, just like with any other process of milling any other grain... I mean, we when you're milling wheat, which is smaller than a regular barley, you have to adjust your mill accordingly. Uh, Maris Otter itself is usually a little bit smaller than, than a regular, just two-row, you know, base malt. So you're constantly adjusting your mill in order to get the proper crush
3: on it. Yeah. And there are mills out there when you just, when you look at them wrong, they change their setting. Just like they're a little spooky and they have a mind of their own. But yeah, I would say the mill setting is definitely number one. Number two would be looking at process temperature. So in the brew house, what your mash temp is, did you have more haze in your final beer? But some of the things that are different in every brewery is like, do you centrifuge? Is everything unfiltered? Like, you have to look at the full chain to really assess what's going on. And so I think just always looking at mill setting first to make sure your extract comes up and that you're getting nice crush on all that grain is probably the first thing that I would always tell a brewer to look at.
4: And that's that's super simple to do. I mean, just buy a sieve. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's really not just that sort hard. It. Yeah, sort exactly. Sides. And just make sure your mill's set to the right setting. And I mean, obviously, that's that's best practices. Just when you're, whenever you get a new grain in, to do that and just run a little bit through the mill and see if the setting where it sh- the the mill should be set. And
2: what about chemical analysis? Like, so, so what is analyzed mm-hmm. in malt? So what ca- what compounds? Whatever
4: yeah,
3: levels. So I think- for brewers, the things that they're going to look at and totally chime in, mm-hmm. protein, yep, beta glucan, yep, DP, which is diastatic power, mm-hmm. FAN,
4: mm-hmm.
3: S over T, Kolbach.
4: Yeah. Start with those. Oh, so so what, kind of. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, obviously protein. So S over
3: T stands for soluble over total protein. Yeah.
2: So how do yep. those interact with your beer? Give us a quick...
4: I mean obviously protein level is going to be whether it's a soluble protein I mean that's going to create haze it's going to create different protein levels so there is not higher protein beers in general it's not a direct correlation will give you better head retention um, the the friability is also an important oh, yeah. thing sounds
2: like bacon
3: Protein,
2: <laughs> friability. Yes. Yeah.
4: Uh, I mean, we I look... I haven't had
3: lunch. That just got me I
4: going. I know. Me too. Oh, we're, <laughs> Roberta's
2: pizza. Trust me, we're going to eat...
4: <laughs> we're definitely going to eat pizza <laughs> when we get out of here. Um, uh, the the moisture content, uh, I mean, there's a, so much we look through, and, and generally, I prefer... Just like she would at the Maltster, when we get something new in, I prefer to do a hot steep and just kind of get an idea of what yeah. we're getting ourselves into. So,
3: so certain things like the f- fan-free amino nitrogen, that will have trickle-down effects on your yeast and your fermentation. So that's one thing that further down the line in the beer beer supply chain, got to make sure that stays consistent and is hitting the right numbers. And... Especially a
4: beer on like this, where it oh, yeah. was a single... Pretty much single malt beer. We keep saying ninety nine point five because it, the acidulated malt is there strictly for adjustment Kicks. of pH. <laughs> I mean, just to make sure we've got a good mash pH. But we yeah. can't say it's a hundred. What's your
3: favorite book to to learn about malt?
2: I mean,
4: I you have
3: one. Oh, the great John Mallet. He's a friend and a great great brewer. And John Mallet great, malt. Yeah.
2: John Mallet from bells bro, yes right? from yeah. bells All right, i'm gonna switch new question um okay uh you got these great notes from your pr team thank you sarah <laughs> they're um, helpful they so keep me in
3: check
2: the big thing i think is the supply chain revolution um you're working with what 200 farmers brewers researchers and universities just tell us about what what the plan yep. is for oregon mall because this is exciting this is everything we've been talking about for 10 years
3: yeah so really it's about starting with our growers making sure that this is sustainable and that we can bring that agricultural economy back to where it started, right? So offering a winter crop, there's a lot of benefits, but we have to keep in mind our brewers. So we work with the universities, Ohio state, Penn state, Michigan state, Cornell, Virginia tech. We're taking all of this research and all the work um, of these universities and putting it in the ground, which is awesome. We're, specifically working a lot with uh, Dr. Eric Stockinger at Ohio State. He allowed us to access Puffin. He identified it first, and we identified it for one really key reason that we've all experienced just recently. It was a polar vortex again. Puffin outlived it. it you looked at the Trial fields. But there's
2: really a polar vortex? (laughs) That's not a Christmas movie? Is that a Christmas movie?
3: I wish. Yeah. (laughs) Coming from California, polar vortexes are now like, hmm, there's another one coming. They're they're pretty brutal, and they're really brutal on crops. And we identified puffin, and we'll continue to work on different varieties. We actually have a lot of trial varieties already in the ground. But traceability is really, when you're looking at the seed-to-sip kind of mantra... Traceability and making sure that we know where every grain goes. That is something that's never been done for brewers. Being able to identify and support growers. We, I mean, we have a dedicated procurement individual who literally just, her entire job is handling our other very important customer, being farmers. Making sure that the quality of that grain that we send out to malt and will eventually malt in Ohio is top-notch. So that there's consistency, quality of product, and it's coming within 200, 300-mile radius of brewers.
2: So really, malt is such an important ingredient in beer Mm -hmm. that you guys can really change the whole industry.
3: I'm hoping so. I I think that with Origin, we're focusing on an area of our country that's been often overlooked um, with soy and corn and the wheat market being the way that it is. To keep family farms alive, we need a winter crop, and we direct contract with... Every single family farm. We have the best interest of not only them, but that barley and our brewing customers.
2: You know, the last night I read an article. There's a great uh, website, New Food Economy, and um, it was kind of sad. It was the guy drove 1,800 miles in Kansas, and the first thing he said was about how just the, these large mega crops, agribusiness farms, don't have people working. It's like these giant fields of whatever you said, soy, corn. Um, do you think that growing Barley for beer uh, is can create more of a local economy.
3: Oh, 100%. It's a first of all, it's a cash crop. It offers you double cropping opportunities. So when you are harvesting barley, it's actually on average two weeks earlier than wheat. So those farmers can get in a short um, a short crop soybean in addition to that barley. So that's really what when when you're looking at driving an agricultural economy, it's not just about yield. It's not just about management practices. It's about controlling the price, holding the hand of the grower so that they meet the quality that they need to. Having outlets for them, we guarantee that as well. Um, when they don't meet quality, we're, we're there to hold their hand. And, um, you know, taking it outside of just Ohio, paying attention to our growers in New York that have been doing a great job, Michigan, PA. Like, That's the, that's the beauty of it for me.
2: Wow, well, let's raise a glass of the LIC Beer Project, Beers Without Beards. Cheers. And um, thanks you. for coming in, Sarah from Origin Malt, and Ivan from LIC Beer Project. Um, this weekend in New York is what was the <laughs> beer without Beers Without Beards event, uh, a women-focused so- event. Don't turn up this weekend,
4: yeah. <laughs> this Sunday, but, because um, you're going to be sorely <laughs> <this>? disappointed.
2: But, <laughs> we
3: have a lot to look forward to, know, and I really appreciate those your talk. likes. And we'll find a we'll we're going to have you back, Sarah,
2: because we're going to we're, we're going to do a lot more shows about malt, and I like talking about local agriculture. So, awesome. thank you guys so much. Thanks, Ivan. Thanks, I appreciate um, it. Big you. shout out to everybody: producer Justin Kennedy, engineer Jeet, um, assistant producer Leah Papes, and I'm Jimmy Carboni. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right, woo. <laughs>
4: Your Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Simplecast is a popular hosting and analytics platform that allows podcasters to easily host and publish to apps like Apple Podcasts. If you have a podcast or are looking to create your very first, check it out. Try it for free and save half off your first three months at simplecast.com slash heritage.
1: Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you.